0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. Hey folks Eddie Trunk here and yep it's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk podcast which is new every Thursday podcast1.com Spotify Apple Podcasts wherever you get your podcast thank you for subscribing thank you for listening it is greatly appreciated as always the interviews you hear each and every week originated on my Sirius XM radio show Trunk Nation heard live on Volume Channel 106 Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Nightly re-airs, 10 to midnight Eastern. Anything you want, audio, video, on the SiriusXM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, please be sure to join me daily and come on board, if you're not already, for the daily rock talk show, Trunk Nation, on volume, SiriusXM channel 106. All the interviews you hear here, just about every one, originated there and aired live on that show You're only getting a tiny fraction of what I do on a daily basis here on this podcast. Everybody else. Thank you for checking out the show and the podcast. And remember to follow me on social media at Eddie trunk, Twitter and Instagram, where I am most active. And you can also catch me on the fan page on Facebook, simply at my name and Eddie trunk.com is the official online home. As I've got a cable tied up in my shoe hold on a minute <laughs> oh man what a day it's been i'm doing this on a monday night after finishing up five hours of live radio on sirius xm so a little fried <laughs> and i got a cable coming off of one of my uh audio devices here that somehow got tied into the bottom of my foot which is crazy anyway What was I saying? At Eddie Trunk on social media, eddietrunk.com is the website. All access members of my site, you can get my terrestrial radio show on demand anytime you'd like. There's music news there for you as well. There's a merch store. Email is Eddie at com. That's all there on the website. So there you go. <clears throat> and I'm on Cameo as well. If you're interested in a personalized video, just search my name at cameo.com. You cannot order a Cameo video from me via an, app, via an Apple device or app. You've got to go to the website, cameo.com, and do it that way. Thank you for doing so to all those who have requested the videos. So if you were listening last week, you know it doesn't get much bigger than being able to say Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler are your guests on a podcast. That's exactly what happened last week. As two founding members of Black Sabbath, join me for a great conversation, which you hopefully heard, and if not, you can go back and listen to. This week, as promised, the two most prominent drummers in the history of Black Sabbath. First, the band's original drummer, and one of the all-time greats, Bill Ward. Second, Vinnie Apicey. As I mentioned, uh, I did a series of interviews with Vinny, Bill, Geezer, and Tony to talk specifically about the Dio era of Sabbath because of the recent reissues of the Mob Rules in Heaven and Hell. So last week I bought you Geezer and Tony, this week I'm bringing you Bill and Vinny. Now of course Bill was only involved in that era by playing on Heaven and Hell and doing a part of the tour for that record before leaving the band. And much of that is covered with Bill Ward. But originally when I was doing that week of Sabbath Talk, Bill was not originally included. And as I talked to Tony, Geezer, Vinny, I, I quickly realized, you know, they were all talking about Bill. And I was like, maybe Bill would want to be involved in this. And he said yes. And that's why we have the interview that we had on the Sirius XM show and of course, you're about to hear on the podcast. I've had a chance to do some, you know, some interviews in the past with Bill Ward. He's a wonderful guy. Vinnie Appice, I've known forever. Great friend, great guy, great drummer. Both of them, and they the, these interviews being presented to you this week, back to back, provide a really unique perspective. Now, timeline wise, on the radio, the Vinny Appice interview aired first. And Bill Ward was second. I'm bringing him to you this week in reverse order. But it doesn't really matter. They're standalone interviews, but each of them talk about the other drummer, and I think you're going to find it fascinating. So get ready. It's, uh, it's, it's an amazing couple of weeks when you can say, over the course of two weeks on a podcast, I'm bringing you three quarters of the original Black Sabbath along with Vinnie Appice. That's tough to beat. (laughs) So I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy doing it. Without further ado, we'll come back and get into it with Bill Ward next. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. This is Denny Somak, host of The Rock Podcast. I'm a producer, author, and rock historian, and I want to
1: share with you some of the greatest stories in rock and roll. Well, Bonzo was the best hard rock drummer. Ever, hands down. I mean, no one comes within a mile of him. And I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. John Lennon had this wise guy look on his face, just like me and my friends were just a bunch of wise guys, street kids. The first guitar I ever had was a Spanish guitar, and I couldn't really get the hang of it. I was only 13. I had never written a song before, actually, and uh, so Jim says, okay, everybody go home and write some songs, you know. And so I went, went home and wrote Light My Fire. Join me. For The Rock
0: Podcast, the only podcast that matters. From Podcast One, or wherever you get yours. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's Eddie Trunk, and first up, is Bill Ward, founding member of Black Sabbath, one of the all-time great drummers. Always an honor to have some time with Bill. You'll hear how our conversation went right now. Enjoy.
1: How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very, very good. I appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your day to join us for this. I, I don't know if you've been made aware, but the entire week... I've had Tony on, I had Geezer on, I had Vinny on the other day. We've been celebrating and remembering the the, uh, Heaven and Hell period of Sabbath uh, because they've reissued those records, as I'm sure you're aware. And I reached out because I would love to get your perspective and have a few minutes with you to talk about that period of time with the band because your name has come up a lot throughout the conversations.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I'm honored to be a part of it, so, you know, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Well, what what Thanks, can you, Thank you.
0: Yeah, Bill, what can you tell the audience because as I was saying just before you came on, uh you, you know, people don't hear a lot from you about this particular period because according to Tony and uh and geezer obviously it was a tough time for you where you were at in your life with your sobriety and everything but you did make the record it also says and they have said in the liner notes that you were the guy that had to deliver the news to ozzy so i would imagine although a brilliant record came out of all of this it was safe to say it was a difficult time for you personally
1: uh yeah this is um uh, it was difficult in a number of ways, you know, my mother had died and uh, and I missed Ozzy as much as I, you know, understood the idea of moving on, um, I still missed him a great deal. So I was dealing with the grief of that and the grief of my mom and I was trying to focus on the new ideas that we had uh, um, for, uh, for ourselves with Ronnie, you know. And um so and so moving through all that was uh, was re- was pretty difficult and I was drinking quite a bit as well so I relied a lot on Tony uh, for my cues there were some parts which were um which were uh, quite orchestrated actually you know in my opinion um but the you know so I, I you know I was kind of there but sometimes it wasn't quite there so and it's difficult admitting that but it's that's the truth of it you know so
0: yeah tony had said you know i'm curious did you know ronnie prior to him coming into the band because tony had said that he had met him at at a party and 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 that that's how that was the connection but did you have any history with him
1: uh no the only the only thing that i had ever heard was uh... During rehearsals, uh, Sabbath rehearsals with Ozzy, uh when we were in Monmouth um I heard um I heard the what we call the uh uh the bus song, um it's rainbows, um oh, I've forgotten the name of the song. Uh sorry, Eddie, um Man on my a memory Silver Mountain. As time Man passes. On, it, Man on a um, Silver Mountain. Sorry?
0: Was the song "Man on Silver Mountain"? That song you said it was a rainbow no, song.
1: No, it wasn't that. It was. Uh, it's the one where Cozy did that brilliant, absolutely brilliant beginning. Stargazer. Stargazer.
0: Yeah, Stargazer.
1: Stargazer. Yeah, we call yeah. it the bus song. The reason why we call it the bus song is because when we were on tour in the early two thousands. Uh, that was the first record we played when we come, when we finished the Sabbath show. And uh, we would, I would get in my bus and we would put Stargazer on. Oh. So, so it stuck with me. And I heard Stargazer and I was so impressed by Ronnie's voice. You know, I knew he had, you know, it's, it's quite obvious that he had, you know, all the chops and everything else. So that's, that's how I met him. I met him musically through Stargazer.
0: Yeah, I mean, Tony also said that for him, he thought it was appropriate at that time to find a singer to come in that was very different than Ozzy. He didn't think it would have been appropriate to bring in somebody that sounded like Ozzy or acted like Ozzy. So he wanted someone that he could work with musically and that it would connect, but also that had a very different approach to singing and a different type of voice. Did you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really aware of of any of that kind of stuff to be honest I uh you know it's just like put it in front of me tell us what we're doing and I'll play you know so mine mine wasn't um I you know that the idea of the collaboration how it ought to be and things like that was not something that was significant for me.
0: Did you, Bill, I know it was difficult for you to to see Ozzy leave and to have to deliver that news, but did you feel it was the right thing to do at the time? I mean, the one thing that I've gotten this week from Tony and Geezer is that there was really, the one thing they felt really strongly about with Ronnie coming in was that there was a new enthusiasm. They felt that Ozzy had really just lost a lot of enthusiasm for the band. Were you on board with the decision at that time?
1: Um. No, I, I, I think um, you know, and I'll probably this will probably come out in the book. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I didn't uh, agree necessarily with the decision, but I could understand that it was the right thing to do. Sometimes there's a difference between um, you know doing the right thing and doing the right thing, if that makes any sense and um so i i actually saw it more of the of the end of black sabbath as we understood it and i thought it was a very dangerous uh, move um and uh so uh, that's how i felt about it but i you know i'm i'm a musician and so i agreed Uh, to the idea of moving on you know I found Ronnie to be very friendly Uh, we were pretty good mates you know so there was no problems like that you know and I showed up as a musician moving into something new and uh, and I did what what I'm supposed to do you know I'm supposed to play drums and be helpful in any other ways that I can And and I tried to do that the best I could but uh, deep down inside, you know, um, I had uh, a lot of reservations about the entire idea of, uh, of moving on because one of the guys was, uh, you know, in the, was hurt in battle, you know, and uh, he was having problems.
0: What are your thoughts about the Heaven and Hell record now when you listen to it and the material on it? Do you feel it still holds looked, up? I Do like you like it? I the
1: dynamics. I like the mm-hmm. dynamics. I think it's. I think it's great. I think we did some really good stuff. Uh, there's some songs which I, I, you know, I don't really want to go down and, you know, in this interview and kind of like, blah, and, and, you know, push out uh, each individual's, um, you know, um, excitement or uh, you know the right, way that sure. everybody else felt. I don't want to, you know say things that will uh, be negative. Uh, If I haven't already said enough, (laughs) that might be negative because I don't feel negative towards it at all. You know, it's something that happened. We did it. Um, You know, you know, Ronnie, I think did a fantastic job, but musically it wasn't my favorite album. I, I just, I'll just say that. Um, but I, did, I do like uh, the dynamics that we did, uh, especially in Die Young. I think that that was uh, dynamically. Uh, I think the band was uh, excellent, and I think Ronnie was absolutely uh, incredible. Um, I like the. I one of the songs that I like the most. That is uh, "Lonely is the Word," mm-hmm. and I like it because it's a neutral song. It's a place that is like based in in more or less a blues thing, mm-hmm. and the commonality of that makes me makes it more appealing for me because it's neither coming from a Ronnie place or from a Tony place, but it's coming from a blues place, and that's the commonality, and that's the and it sounds so good, and Ronnie did an incredible job on that, and so did Tony. I mean, the the playing is just. Uh, really really good I put that on occasionally and listen to it just for the nostalgia of it you know so I like that a lot I thought Heaven and Hell was kind of like a Sabbath thing how I you know the way that I understood the um, the the how I understood the uh, Sabbath to be it's hard turning everything around on a dime um, within six months and be you know and uh suddenly it turns into something else. But I think Ronnie uh very uh carefully and lovingly uh made that a what would be a Sabbath song in my opinion. Um I think he was very honourable uh on that record and uh in and that sound, song and he and he had his own uh Ronnie lyrics and he had his own Ronnie ways. But uh, that worked. I thought that that song worked really, really well from three guys from uh, Black Sabbath and then Ronnie coming uh, from Rainbow and, or, and other bands where it was coming from and then putting that onto, um, onto Heaven uh, and Hell. I, I thought it was uh, extremely well um, made. I think it was very, very well done.
0: As far as the tour bill, obviously it's been well documented. You left the tour somewhere. Yeah. They they say you basically just disappeared. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I didn't. I I didn't. I couldn't. When we went onto the stage, I really. I had a lot of difficulties playing Black Sabbath songs with um with Ronnie up front. Again, this is not a. I'm not talking about a personal affront about Ronnie. Um, it just was so different and so difficult for me to accept and to be uh, to think that that was the norm. You know, that was the new norm. Um, but especially when we did songs like Black Sabbath and things like that. It's um, so I I played them as best that I could on stage, but uh, so I I was having difficulty with that. I think a bit, my biggest fault was that I wasn't being honest with with anybody at all. I was drinking more and I wasn't being sincere. So um when I was uh, so if anything I was at fault by not being honest enough with everybody and saying I'm having a problem with this, you know. And I think that Ronnie out of anybody uh, you know would have said, you know, tell just say it like it is, Bill. Because that's what the kind of person uh, that, that he was and, and is, you know. So, right. so in in that respect, that that was uh, one of the difficulties that I had when we were running it on the road, to the point where I, um, that that coincided for me where my drinking it was uh, was uh, I couldn't stop. Uh, I reached that place in in my alcoholism where. The drinking became more important than anything else, and I'd never crossed that line ever before in all the years of touring and everything that we'd done. I'd never crossed that line where where booze became more important, and I crossed that line. And unfortunately, I crossed that line. I believe it was in in Indi- Indianapolis, uh, I believe, and uh, and that was one of the worst things. I think that uh, there's there's quite a lot of worse things in my life. But that's one of my worst regrets. That uh, I um, I moved on. I I, uh, I couldn't even play the gig, and I moved on. And that was just uh, absolutely appalling on my part. And it's a regret that um, you know I I don't know how to repay anything or do anything about that. I've said enough sorrys about it, and I've regretted it. But um. um You know, I I just try my best to not ever do that again. You know, um, I've tried to... I've been living a different life for over 37 years now, so... um, uh, And I hope that means something maybe to anybody that might be listening today in terms of I've tried to, you know, do things. I tried to make up for that when we did the reunion tours. I tried to play my ass off and give some credibility to everything uh, for the mistakes that I did make.
0: Yeah. Well, you're with you leaving the band and then Vinny was on the other day. And of course he was the guy that they brought in. Vinny had an interesting mm-hmm. uh, take on things because I had asked him about his relationship with you and he said wonderful things. And he, he told a few stories, but he said that, uh, you know, for him as a drummer, he was coming, he, he had a different approach. He said, you know, Bill he described you as as being a drummer but also a percussionist. He said the way you played on the material was uniquely you. It was uniquely your style of playing. And he said it was a a very different thing and that he had to really work at uh, at doing the best to bring his style in as well as doing the best he could to honor what you had done. Uh, And I thought that was a really interesting take from Vinny.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, Vin's a a drummer. Um, And I'm an orchestrational drummer so vin uh you know lays lays things down just listen to any dio record and he plays great on all that stuff he plays fantastic it's just uh, it's just really very straightforward um everything hangs correctly and it sounds how a rock drummer would sound but i'm not a rock drummer i'm an orchestrational drummer And I play to, I play differently. If if Tony plays a chord or Giza plays a bass note, I react to that completely differently. I don't start laying down chops or, you know, or start putting in a rhythm or things like that. I'm just simply not built like that. I'm not designed like that. And I probably never will be, you know. So, um but I thought that uh, you know Vinny when he played. Uh, I, I know I've, t- I've talked to Vin about that. You know, where you know I've talked to a lot of drummers that that have come in and sat in in my drum seat. They all say the same thing. You know, how they've tried to like, you know, uh, alter alter their their, their their you know alter their um, style of playing to fit. To fit in the the more orchestrated pieces and the more you know, there's a lot of jazz things in there too that I was doing. So, you know, so it's yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of guys uh, that have sat in sat in the drum chair, and have been very, um, they've been very, um, uh, very kind about you know my drumming and or appreciative of what I played. And uh, the other, but. <laughs> Um, you know the on War Pigs was uh, was always a a thing for everybody. I think to play, so which is cool. You know, it's like um you know, um, but it, that's why why I think it worked. You know, we I think Black Sabbath worked with with Ozzy and um, and Geezer and Tony and me, and that 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 worked. And uh, there's something about that 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 seemed to work. That was a the thing and, uh, and everything else. I, I think that happened after that, uh, worked and sounded different and become different. And it sounded good, you know, but it was, it was, it was just different. Yeah. It didn't, the, it didn't have whatever that quality is that we have when the four of us do something together. It's a different thing. It's a different band.
0: Yeah. Well, no doubt. There's no doubt. And, 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 yeah. uh, yeah. to say to say it worked it would be an understatement of the of the uh the the, the century because obviously sabbath worked with uh, that that version that original version of the band what you guys did and what you created is just uh, enduring for, forever so bill um before we get to what you're doing now and any update you'd like to give the fans there was one thing i did think about uh that i never had a chance to talk to you about or hear you speak on when you left Sabbath and you were out on the mob rules and you had left and not part of that, you ended up coming back to the band for the born again record with Ian Gillen. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that yeah. decision and your thoughts about that record?
1: Well, I, I um, for, for me, fortunately I was, uh, so I left uh, in 1980 uh, from, from heaven and hell and just hang with me while I go for the date line and i started getting sober in 81 uh 82 and uh, in 83 i had some sustained sobriety and um so uh i was invited to uh, come and work with Ian and, and Tony and and Giza and uh and i missed them so much i really missed the band and uh so I said yes, and I felt confident because I had, uh, you know, I was clean and sober. Um, and it was completely different from our, from Heaven and Hell in respect that I, I was completely sober. I showed up, I, I'd played on, I played every track sober, and it was just a whole different vibe completely. And uh, I was in my very early sobriety at that point. Uh, but, of course, that ended up um, where, again... Uh, sobriety, part of part of being sober, is a bit about being honest. And uh, and the idea of a tour made me so fearful that I uh, actually picked up that drink after I'd finished all the recording for Born Again. I enjoyed doing that thoroughly. Again with Ian, Ian, it was great working with Ian, as it was with Ronnie. You know, I forgot to mention something, if I may. I I wanted to to let you let you know that. When Ronnie, uh, you know, had Dio, I, I became a huge fan. It's quite ironic that um, even though things may not have been uh, perfect for me in the, in uh, in Heaven and Hell, in, when we were doing Heaven and Hell, uh, when Ronnie had Dio with Vinnie and, and the other guys, uh, I became a huge fan. Uh, I loved his music and uh as i had done when he was with rainbow so it's it's something that's um kind of a little bit twisted around but yeah um i wanted to make sure i said that you know so um anyway i'm done
0: <laughs> no well so the, so uh but just on born again yeah you didn't do the tour but you did the record and your yes, thought sir. your thoughts on that record cuz i've talked to tony about that record tony was telling me yesterday or 2 days ago yesterday actually that he'd love to mm-hmm. remix that record but the tapes are missing nobody can locate the tapes mm-hmm. but that that's an interesting yeah. record in the sabbath catalog because it was a, it was it was somewhat maligned at the time that it came out because of the sound of it or the cover or whatever the case may be. But in as history mm. has gone on, Bill, there's a lot of people that really love that record and feel that it was a really yeah. very cool, unique, heavy rec- uh, rock record. What What are your thoughts about that record in general?
1: Well, I think it was very well produced. Uh, I think it was Robin Black. Um, it was great working with Ian. um, um i thought we did some really really good songs uh being a a a fan uh, both as well as ronnie i've been a fan of ian's uh i was amazed by what he would do and where he would go you know being a singer myself i i would watch him in the studios and hang with him uh where he went from part to part and it's like and I, I would try to imagine where he was gonna go next and I couldn't believe where he would go. He would go to these uh unbelievable places that fitted so perfectly. Um I thought Born Again was uh, um from all, all from everyone, Geezer's bass plane I thought was exceptional. Uh, I like what I did. I thought Tony had so many great licks, uh, Zero the Hero I mean, just uh, there was just so much on that album. I think my least favourite one is trashed, but other than that, I I, I loved that 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 record. Um, uh, just uh, just everything about it is. Uh, it was. Um, I think it was very grounded. It was grounded. It was English. Not to sound elitist or anything. That's not meant to sound elitist. It was just uh, there was four English guys, you know, in there, right. sure. and um, and they and everyone had come from a, a blues background. So it was a so it had that commonality. Um, so I think there was a lot of a lot of, um, a, lot of uh, a lot of things that we that uh, that we had. And uh, in place, um, I think it's yeah. I think it's a really good album, and I think it's it's possibly overlooked right. uh, by a lot of people uh, who perhaps haven't really listened to it. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I'm not going to be the judge of what other people listen to. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, like I, I would I would completely agree with you that it's overlooked, but I don't think so anymore because I think as time has gone on, time has an interesting way of uh perceptions of records that at the time maybe weren't so well received, but in retrospect are looked at as groundbreaking or important or, or influential in some way. And Bill, if I'm doing the timeline right, a few minutes ago you said that you have been sober thirty seven years, so congratulations on that. That would mean if my my timing is right that around that time of born again after you made the record and it sounds like you 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 fell off but shortly after you've been sober ever since is that accurate?
1: That's correct. I got sober on uh the 2nd of January 2 th- uh uh 1984,
0: 2nd of January 1984.
1: Wow, but congratulations. I, but I actually, but I actually but I actually, but I actually I, I marked my sober date as uh, January the 24th because that was the first time I could actually see anything properly. You know, I saw a newspaper and it said January the 24th. So I went, OK, we'll start. We'll start from here, January the 24th. And <laughs> and I put that as my uh, sober date. So, yeah, in, in uh, January uh, uh, 1984, yeah. Oh,
0: congratulations! That's that's fantastic. So, how is your health now, Bill? What have you been working on? What can you tell the fans about? And how are you feeling these days?
1: I don't feel too bad. I wish I could get out and walk, uh, to be honest, but I'm not going to do that. I'm trying to. I'm I'm playing air drums in the in the house, (laughs) and I'm trying to really stretch my legs every day and try to. You know, uh got a, a right knee, has a bit of a problem, so I, I'm using a little bit of Tiger Balm on that and things, you know. Uh, uh, but I could definitely use more exercise. Um, uh, Writing-wise, I'm writing like a demon. I, I can't stop writing. I'm writing music. I'm writing some books. I'm writing poems. Um, I just completed a new song for Day of Errors. Uh, we have we have uh, two records uh ready to come out from day of Errors. we have one unbelievable album from b w b ready to come out all this stuff is mastered it 's just been sitting there because we don 't know how to get it out into the world and there are we we know the ways of getting it out into the world but um we're trying to find a way where we might actually be able to make some money, heaven forbid. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, um, we're not we're not looking to make millions of dollars, but it would be nice to, uh, you know, have some way of presenting a product and actually getting some kind of a payment for it. Uh, sounds old-fashioned, but, you know, I actually believe in that.
0: No, i, and I agree. believe in that for other
1: musicians as well. Yeah. So if that gives me a if that gives me a kick in the ass by some of your listeners then I don't I don't really care, you know, so they can do whatever they want. Um I know that people have to do whatever they want about that, so but I'm 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 just gonna continue writing. I've got um I've gone back to the original album and we're re looking at that. Uh I've gone back to um uh When the bow breaks, and i've now made that into a triple album um and we're working on that and uh we've got other albums from b w b lined up We have a plethora of work probably that uh, could go on for at least the next six or seven years um so and for day of Errors as well, I think we've got another four albums lined up for day of Errors after these next for these two. These two albums come out, so we've got to, We, man, I tell you what, you know, when you're stuck busy. in the house and you've got nothing to do, <laughs> yeah, busy, yeah. Well, you know, so that, that, I can't stop writing. That, that, I'm just a, you know, I'm not just crazy about writing.
0: Yeah, and that's been so. the, the the trend, especially in the last year, of all the artists I've spent time talking to. It's the same thing. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, you can't yeah. do much more but record and write and be as creative as you can indoors. I think we're finally getting through that. I think we're finally going to be on the other side of it sooner mm-hmm. than later, which is yeah. good news for everyone. And then and then we'll see where it goes. Did you mention earlier when you said something for the book and you referenced a book now, are you writing your, your life story? Or are you doing an autobiography?
1: Yeah, I'm doing um... – I'm doing a book which is uh probably i well I've got one book completed and uh I'd rather I'd rather not name the title yet that but that's okay. been complete for a while and we do have a, a publisher for that. I don't know a date when it's gonna be released. But the other book that I'm writing I'm I'm writing two or three other books, you know. I, I write all the time so um some of them are very personalised things some of them are sarcastic looks at, at life and um, but the I guess the biggest book that I'm writing is uh, is my uh, biography and um, but it's not like a um, it's not like and then uh, you know in 1968 we became famous and then we did this and then we did that I'm trying to be as I'm trying to, in the book, I'm trying to be as um, as uh, careful about what I'm saying in order not to harm anybody, uh, the reader, or anybody else that I've ever made contact with in my life. And uh, right in the front of the book, there's a great big notice to self, which is uh, do not... Um, do not, um, uh, you know, discriminate, or do not uh, um, say undignified things about your fellows, or anything else. Right. I'm not going to write a book about. Uh, so it's not going to be a dirt book. So that I guess, <laughs> I guess that puts me right down way below where everything else. Uh, where, the, where the publishers or some publishers like it to be. Mm. Um, I'm trying to write something that's dignified. Right. And I spend more time, actually, I can... I wrote... Uh, I was just writing only just the other day. In fact, it was yesterday. Um, I was writing about... Uh, oh, just picking something up here. Um I was writing about my old Land Rover and I don't know if anybody's interested in that but, you know, um, the old the, the old Land Rover that I used to drive, we had it on the farm when we had a farm and um, I'm writing about just like details about that and then I'll move, I love moving. It's almost still the same as orchestrational. Uh, playing I'll move from that into this you know what it was like to play in the sound waves with Giza on stage mm-hmm. and um, so it, it's uh, just an amazing you know it's amazing to be in all the dynamics of an on stage uh, show um, and learning to let that be the norm that was the norm for me I worked inside Soundwaves on stage and when the wind would blow the sound we—I we, I would lose the count the wind would blow the sound off the stage and it's just like whoa <laughs> you know where are we so there's all kinds of things like that um, that are more pinpointed rather than all the other things about rock and roll you know like you know you know things that are to me that are distasteful now, and I have grandchildren, so I'm writing it more or less to, for the grandchildren, mm-hmm. and so they can understand that I work with some great men, some great players, some great musicians. I've worked with so many good musicians, and I've uh, so far, and I still continue to do that. And so, it's a book about. Uh, I hope it'll be a book about uh, being honourable. And being um, worthwhile to other musicians and to and to interested readers, period
0: bill, final question do you have any hope to be able to play live again uh even you know with your own thing or even are are you comfortable with Sabbath being put to rest? I know you weren't part of the most recent run of shows, but uh, you know, talking to Tony yesterday, I mean, he's been dealing with some health stuff. We know Ozzy's been yeah, sure. battling some serious health stuff. You've had your fair share yeah. of of issues. Oh, um, have, yeah. do, do, you think that, do you think that it's fitting and, and right? Or, you know, Tony said he'd love to play again, but he could only see a one-off or something special. He couldn't ever see touring again. Where do you stand on playing live? And as far as the Sabbath legacy being done now, do you think that it's appropriate that it's done?
1: Um, well, I'm not done with Black Sabbath legacy,
0: <laughs> right? But I mean, as well, a touring I, entity, I haven't I,
1: I haven't I haven't been done. I, uh, I was made done, but I'm but I'm not done. Right. So the others might be done, but I'm not. Um, but as far as being realistic about that, as far as touring with Black Sabbath, then you know, I I I don't have the chops, and I don't have the ability to to drive a band like that on, on stage, you have to be, you know, I have to be back at, at 60 years old to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as my own band, uh, we're looking at how we can do shows live both, with both BWB and uh, Day of Errors, you know, and I'll, I'll go and play with Day of Errors. I'll play drums with Day of Errors, you know, uh, clubs, wherever we have to go, you know, to... To do that, so we've still got a very open mind, all of us, for working with Dave Errors live. Um, my, I, I would love to do a, a studio album with Sabbath, with all the original members. So, um, and I don't know, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying that, you know, I'm just floating mm-hmm. that out there. I haven't talked to anybody about that or anything else, but I'm, I'm not done. So the other three might be done, and I and I respect that. Um, but uh, no, I'm not done. I think I think uh, as long as we all exist, <laughs> and we're still we're still breathing in air. I think we have every possibility of making uh, making some great music together.
0: Well, and I think you could say that just about any band, as history has shown, even bands that have done retirements and farewells, as long as they're, as long as they're drawing air, there's always that chance they're going to do a show or do some, live, uh, do some recordings at some point. And it's interesting what you said, as far as playing live and driving a band like Sabbath Live, very different than, I would think, what you just said you'd like to do, which is go in a studio and create new music that you feel you'd, obviously in a studio environment, it's not nearly as grueling as being on the road, that you would be up for that.
1: Oh yeah, if you know, I I I would love to do a a studio album with Black Sabbath. Yeah. Right. right but on. I um but no, I you know, I'm being honest <laughs> and uh you know, I'll be 73 next birthday and I know what kind of energy it takes to drive that band.
0: Well, I saw you a couple of years ago in Los Angeles at that award show, and you looked great and sounded great, and you do now as well. And I, I greatly appreciate you taking some time and, and joining, this, uh, joining me this week, Bill. I wanted to be sure you were offered to be included, and I'm really glad that you took the invitation and had a chance to come on the air. And of course, you're welcome anytime to share what you're doing with Day of Errors or uh, BWB or anything you have coming down the pike. We always want to know about it, and you know where to reach me. We, you're always welcome anytime.
1: Thanks Eddie. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Take, take well, care of yourself Bill. and stay healthy. Yeah.
0: You too. You too. And next time I'm in LA, when things start picking up again, I'll definitely uh, hope to see you and uh, spend some more time. All the best.
1: All the best. All the best, mate. Yeah.
0: Take care. Well, thanks to Bill Ward. Always great to visit with him. Great to get some insights from him about a period of time in Black Sabbath that honestly, he doesn't talk about all that much because he was only part of one record and part of one tour at that time, but what a record, heaven and hell. So it was really, I thought, very interesting to get Bill Ward's perspective and hearing him speak on something you don't hear him talk about all that much. When we come back, the drummer who replaced Bill Ward in Sabbath, Vinny Apesy, next. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back, Eddie Trunk here, as promised, as we bring you the Sabbath rhythm section this week on the podcast, Vinny Apice, who did the lion's share of the work with the DO lineup of Sabbath, here's Vinny with a great conversation, enjoy. Vinny. Hey,
2: Eddie, how are ya?
0: I'm good, I'm good. So before we even get into some Sabbath talk here, just a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. Before you came on the air with me, I got a text from our mutual friend, Frank Bello from Anthrax. (laughs) Yeah. And he writes to me, Eddie, I hear you got Vinny on today. When you talk to him, ask him the story about the lasagna pan. What is the story about the lasagna pan? What is Frankie talking about? Okay,
2: he's talking about when I was 16 years old, I wound up playing uh, partly with John Lennon. And uh, that happened because my band was managed by the Record Plant Studios in New York City where Lennon recorded. A good friend was Jimmy Iovine, and he brought us in there, and we had a room to rehearse every night, you know, because we were managed by them. And John used to record there, and then one night they called us down to do hand claps uh, Jimmy called us up in our room and said, can you guys come down and do hand claps for a song? He didn't say who it was, so we said, sure. We go down, and we walk in the room. There's John Lennon. I go, oh, my God. <laughs> Look who's it's John Lennon. So we put the headphones on. Now he's talking to us in the headphones. And it's like, oh, my God. This is like a dream, you know. So we wound up doing hand claps on whatever gets you through the night. And then he found out we were upstairs. And uh, he used to come out upstairs and watch us rehearse. and. We sit and talk, smoke a joint, and we got on the subject of Italian food. I was sitting there with John, and I told him my mother makes the greatest Italian food. My grandmother's from Italy. So uh, we talked about it, and then I said, you know what, I'll have my mom make you some, I'll bring it in. So a couple of days later, I brought in a pan of lasagna that she made for John, and I gave it to him. And he was very thankful, and he took it away. And then about a month later, my brother Carmine was playing with Rod Stewart. They were doing the Madison Square Garden. They were at a party uh, about you know for the gig, and my parents went. My mother Mary and Charlie went, and uh, John Lennon was there. So my mother spots John Lennon and says, oh, there's John Lennon. I want to go say hi. So Carmine brought him over to meet Lennon, and he explained that that's his mom and my mom, and she made you the lasagna. And my mom talked to him for a while, and then after the conversation, she asked John if he had the pan.
0: <laughs> I knew that's where this was going. I could feel it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, she she's from Brooklyn. You know, there's no no. I'm telling you, I'm laughing she's so hard because you know I'm I'm dude I'm I'm half Italian, but I might as well be ninety five percent because I was brought up in that completely. And I totally could tell where you're going because my mom and my aunts would have done the same thing.
2: Right. Right. It's that New York, Brooklyn, especially that era, that, that generation. It's like, doesn't matter. You're in the Beatles.
0: You got my pan. Yeah. Those (laughs) pans are sacred. There's like, what's burned into those pans is like, is like legacy. It's like legends and, and, and passed down, and I remember my aunt had one that was, like, white, but it was, like, chipped, uh, you know, on the side, but it was the <laughs> it was the pan, you know? You had to have it in the yep. pan. You got to get the pan back.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's oil in the pan. You know, this was metal, so there's all that oil from years of cooking lasagnas and yeah. uh, Italian food, and there was no, you know, so he asked, she asked him for the pan, but we never got it, so it was funny. You know, it was really funny. We think Yoko has it, but who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is so good. And I and if again anybody in my audience that is uh you know grow grew up like I did and Vinny did in a dominant Italian household, that is so, so spot on. To this Vinny, to this day, to this day, yeah. if my mom, who's like 80 years old, if my mom sends me food to have <laughs> In it, like within twenty four hours after having it. I haven't even had it yet. She's asking me, You bring the pan back? You got the pan? <laughs> I mean, <it's> just, <laughs> oh, that's great. It's yeah, it still totally, goes on. Those are like the tools, you know? Yes. The
2: Italian tools. Yes. You
0: gotta it's have like it. it's like people who make wine, the barrel has a certain thing. You gotta have that barrel. It's the, the pan I could oh my god, that's the best. I could just it's see almost, I it's
2: I, almost like the guitar players go, man. This is the guitar. You know, this one just feels right. You know, you got to have that guitar. And this is a pan. You know,
0: yes. we got pans. My aunt and my my uh, my late aunt and my mom have pans that I swear to God have been under that cupboard for three generations. But they—that's the pan. Yeah. So I could see your mom. God, that's priceless. That is so good. Oh man, yeah, that's it's, funny it's as a hell. Story that I I
2: actually forgot about that story, and then. A, a while ago, four, maybe six years ago, Kalman and I did an interview with somebody in New York, and the guy remembered the story. And I went, oh, man, I forgot about that. That's correct. She <laughs> so asked for the pan back.
0: <laughs> and knowing yeah. Bello like I do, I understand why he loves that story so much because he's such a ball buster. He would love that. So I understand him oh, uh, eating that up.
2: cracking up. Yeah, yeah, he was he was on his he was almost on the floor. He he
0: loved it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he would I certainly did a little
2: w- little show with them last night. It was cool. It
0: was good. Yeah, he would certainly relate to that for sure. So anyway, man, we've been <laughs> celebrating these uh these records and we're continuing to do it all week. Let me ask you this. Have you had a chance to see or hear these two new reissues of these records?
2: Uh, you know what? I was smart. I called Rhino. They sent me they sent me a couple of copies of each. And uh, I didn't get to listen to it yet, but I did look through it and it's a really nice, beautiful package and it's got when you open like the mob rules it opens up it's like a almost like a double album and it, the line it's all the liner notes of all the stories we each told about making that record and uh especially the song the mob rules so it's a great package i'm I'm Hoping to listen to this uh, probably later tonight, and uh, to hear the live tracks in the remastered to see uh, to hear how it sounds compared to the original. So it's a, yeah, it's well, a great package, but
0: right? Rhino always does great stuff with their packaging. So this is no exception. And you're you're further ahead of the game than Geezer was on Monday because <laughs> on, heard, on Geezer didn't have a clue on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: heard. I heard he gonna, He doesn't have a copy or anything. You know, and normally I wouldn't either. Then I thought, you know what, the guy that's booking all the interviews, Chip, I said, well, should I call Rhino to get some copies of this or what? He goes, yeah, that's you should probably do that. <laughs> I did, and they sent a nice uh, bunch of co- copies out to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, let me let me get your thoughts, uh, you know, about this time. You know, I, I, we've revisited this a number of times, especially over the last fifteen years since the band got together for the third time. And obviously for you coming into this, this is where most rock and heavy rock fans first saw and heard you play. And I know because Geezer told some of the story on Monday, you came in in a, a pretty, uh, you know, interesting way. And in that in the middle of the heaven and hell tour, Bill just doesn't show up. So give everybody the story on how you got the call to join Black Sabbath.
2: Well, I'll even go a little further back as it's interesting because about a month before I got a call from Sharon Osborne, and she wanted me to uh, possibly fly to England and meet Ozzy and maybe join his band. She was putting a band together with him. And then but I was like 20 years old. You know, I haven't really been out of the country and going to England. Like, wow, I've been to Canada at that point, but that. Not England. And uh, so I actually turned that down because I talked to Carmine and I asked him, is Ozzy like legit? Is he crazy? Is he?" And Carmine knew him. And he said, he's pretty nuts, you know. So I kind of just thought that was not the right thing for me right now. And I turned that down. Then a month later, I got a call and it's Black Sabbath. I went, wow, what a year. So uh, the call was to go meet Tony. Uh, at the hotel he he was in california in hollywood and i was there i was there so it was easy so i went down to meet, to, uh, meet tony and we really hit it off well and he had a an album called axis that a the band i was in a pala trio, trio and uh he liked it he liked the drums and so you know we were off to a good start and we hit it off then he invited me down the next day to play with the band and about a week before, I heard Neon Knights on the radio, and I was like, wow, that sounds great, man. That new singer, Dio, is amazing. The band sounds great, you know, because uh, I really didn't follow Ronnie that much back then. I heard Rainbow a little bit, but I wasn't a Rainbow fan. So I heard Neon Knights, and then when Tony invited me down, I went down. I met Giza Ronnie and Jeff Nichols, a keyboardist, and they said, what do you want to play? I said, well, uh, Neon Knights," because I knew the tempo and there's only one stop in the song. (laughs) So it's a good way to cheat your way through the song. You know, there's not a lot of stops or tempo changes and things like that. So that's the first song uh, I played together uh, with them and Ronnie. And it was the last song we played with Ronnie 30 something years later at, uh, what was it? Atlantic city. So Mm -hmm. that song had a pretty long journey And then they said, okay, you're in until Bill comes back. I said, okay, great. So I had to learn the whole set, and we only had three more days to rehearse, you know, and it wasn't much time, especially that we played a couple more songs. Then they went to the pub to celebrate. They found a drummer, and that left less time to to go over the songs. So I stayed there with Jeff, and we went over, you know, listening to the songs. He gave me, he lent me his Walkman. (laughs) <laughs> the cassette Walkman back then. So it was a lot of stress, and uh, all I did was listen to those songs and make notes and cheat sheets and to get through it, you know.
0: So, so you were pretty, told, pretty, but uh, but Vinny, like, you were told initially that it sounds like you were initially told you were going to be temporary and that they were expecting Bill to return.
2: That's right, because they said it was under the, the circumstance of, well, Bill returns, you know. Bill, bill it's bill's band and so i you know i'm, I'm twenty-one. 21 yeah this a good good opportunity here so i said fine and then uh we did the first gig everybody was really nervous we were really nervous all my cheat sheet and book it was in hawaii at aloha stadium and it was rain it started to rain and it blew onto my book and my book got all shriveled up and the ink ran and so halfway through the notes were useless and we just had to wing it and we did and uh, Tony, I heard, was really, really nervous because he never played with another drummer
0: up to that point. And it was always Bill. So, Neither would uh, Geezer, I would think. I, I wouldn't think Geezer would think have either. Yeah. yeah, and that's I the rhythm them, section. Yeah.
2: yeah. Right, they always play with Bill. So here's this new kid on the block coming in. And uh, and I had a little drum set, which Tony was really concerned about. You know, the the kit was small. And uh, Tony even asked me if I played double bass. I said, no. But I'll I'll add to the kit. I called Ludwig and they sent me all these other drums and I made it bigger eventually. So, um, yeah, so it was under the, if Bill comes back, then, then I would go home, you know. So we started the tour and finished the Heaven and Hell tour and Bill wasn't coming back. There was no word of it. And then finally we hit the UK and we had to do a song for the movie Heavy Metal so we had a couple of days off. Went into John Lennon's house, uh, which was owned by Ringo. Because John looking for
0: the pen you're looking for the pen. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you're at John Lennon's so, house. Your mom, mom, I'm recording at John Lennon's house. Find the pen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did look in the closet, but I didn't find, I didn't find the pan. Yeah. I uh, bet it's so weird. It was like, okay, now we're going to record in this big English mansion. So we go in and, and they give us keys. And for some reason, I got John's room, you know? Oh, wow. And I just felt weird about staying there because he just passed. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I don't know. So I took another room. Uh, not to, I didn't want to feel funny about it, but I took another room. And uh, so. One that's where we wrote and recorded The Mob Rules, the first uh, take for the uh, movie. So it came out so good. Like Warner Brothers loved it. The band loved it. Tony, Keyser, Ronnie, they were freaking out. Uh, then I knew that cemented me into the band more, you know, because now we recorded something. And Bill never plays somebody else's parts. He never had to. So if Bill did come back are they going to do that song and he's going to play my parts? So it was interesting, you know, but I just felt a little more confident that I was in the band after we recorded that. So that's what happened. Did
0: you, did you ever meet Bill Ward back then? I met Bill Ward uh, after that tour,
2: you know, came back. I lived in LA and I went to the rainbow bar and grill sitting there with my wife. And I said, there's Bill Ward. Oh, my God. Let me go over and say hi. But that's when Bill was drinking, and it was pretty wild, you know. He was pretty pretty loose, let's say. I'm being <laughs> I'm being nice. So I went over, and he started hugging me. And, ah, and this whole big thing started happening. And then I went, okay, time for me to get out of here. You know, and I felt very uncomfortable. I didn't want to get into anything. He was nice, but it was just really a little bit, uh, a couple of drinks into it, you know? So I actually left. I said, let's go. <laughs> and then later on, I met Bill a couple of years later when, when he was straight, stopped drinking and he took care of himself. And he's the sweetest guy in the world. And I've met him many times thereafter and we always got along great. And he's a real sweetheart, you know? So, yeah. Well, the condition,
0: the condition he was in at that time was, is probably what <laughs> led him to, you know, bailing on the tour. You, you know, I thought about this, Vinny, and this is pretty interesting. So Geezer, when he was on with me Monday, was telling me that he almost he almost didn't make this lineup himself because he left during the recording of Heaven and Hell to go back to England because he was dealing with a really rough divorce, and he was not sure he was ever going to return or return to the band, and then he did just in time to record the bass then you've got Bill in the condition he was in at the time. And then, you know, he makes it through doing the record, but then he bails on the tour. Tony could have been in a really, really rough position there. As it was, he's trying to introduce a new lead singer. He could have found himself in a situation very easily, judging from what I'm hearing, where he was the only guy from Sabbath. Because if Geezer didn't come back, there would have been a new bass player. And Bill was half out the door. So it, it right. really was, it really like, and I think there would have, there's a big difference in trying to reintroduce Black Sabbath with this great new singer, Ronnie James Dio, than there would have been, mm-hmm. Hey, we're doing Black Sabbath and I got a new singer, I new bass player and I got a new drummer. I mean that, that would right. have been a much harder sell. And it, it was really, it was really teetering on that happening. It sounds like.
2: Yeah. it It, it could have been a bad situation. You know, it wouldn't have been the authentic, Black Sabbath with a new singer, you know, so, and, uh, and plus nobody would have been on the the heaven and hell album. I, I wasn't on it and the bass player, uh, might've been on half of it. I know they, they worked with some other bass player, uh, for a little bit and then Giza came back. So you're right. It could have been that, that road that it went down, but luckily, you know, um, Giza stayed in there. And I think what saved it too was when they came back to LA, they found me quick you know, and it wasn't like they had to cancel another bunch of weeks of the tour to find somebody. I, as soon as they got to LA, I got the call, I went down and bam, you know, we, we got together and we were able to keep the rest of the gigs in place. And then for the first week or actually two weeks, I, all I did was study those songs and, and, and get them as best and tight as we can, you know, and. Use Bill Bill's parts, to play the important parts of, of that Bill played in those songs. So uh, yeah, so it wound up being people accepted it. You know, people ex- it, it was easier to accept a, a new drummer than a new singer. You know, because at well, that what? point on that tour, Ronnie would have those banners in the front. Where's Ozzy? Yeah, you know, all that stuff he had to do. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, I talked, Giezer, I talked to Geezer. I talked to Geezer about that too because when we were talking about the Mob Rules period. I had said to geezer, I would imagine at that point, th- then Ronnie had been in for a while. People had already heard how great the music was he was doing. People knew he was the guy at that point. And there, I would think that on the mob rules tour, and I mean, you did some of the heaven and hell tour and of course all of mob rules, but I would think that it yeah. would be, it was, it would be easier, uh, easier for Ronnie to be accepted by the time of the second record and tour. Cause at that point, everybody knew he was there then maybe on, on heaven and hell. Oh, yeah.
2: And plus Heaven and Hell, you know, uh, was a was a big selling album. And and what an incredible album, you know, no less the singing on it. So he was definitely accepted in in, as a member of Black Sabbath with, uh, you know, a little bit of a different sound to it. But uh, the first tour, you know, I, I was I did half of the Heaven and Hell tour pretty much. But he had to deal with all that stuff, you know, like, hey, where's Ozzy? And then, you know, people just act like that. There's always going to be somebody, you know, doing something stupid, you know And that the tour, so.
0: the tour for when you jumped, when you joined Sabbath and and came in on the Heaven and Hell tour after Bill left, did uh, were you were you still was it still the Black and Blue tour? Were you still playing with Blue Oyster Cult? Uh Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was Blue Eyes to Cult, and uh, it was other bands, too. The blue I, I think the Black and Blue tour was just a segment of the tour. You know, we did the, uh, I don't know how long that was, but it was in the Heaven and Hell tour. It wasn't the whole, Black and Blue wasn't the whole tour from what I remember. But, uh, yeah, so we were doing that, too, and then they filmed a movie and all this stuff. So uh, it was quite a tour. <laughs>
0: Tony, Tony talks in the liner notes to this new issue of Heaven and Hell about how he was worried that your drum kit was so small, which you mentioned before. Why, why was your kit so small at that point? Were you not prepared to be in Sabbath, or is that what you just preferred playing?
2: Well, as you could tell, like, I get a call one day. I mean, the kit I had was four Tom-Toms, but they were concert Toms, which means they don't have a bottom drum head on them. So that makes it, it makes it even smaller you know, and I was playing with my band Axis, and uh, and I actually, before that, played them in Derringer, Rick Derringer, but we played clubs, so the kit was perfect for that, and I could fit it in my 67 Mustang back then, and it worked, so you got you got to figure, I get a call, and the next day, I'm in Black Sabbath, of course, I'm not prepared that way, you know, it's like, the first thing Tony said after we thought, "Can you play double bass?" I said, "No," but let me call Ludwig. And then I got aerial toms, which are up in the air, and another couple of floor toms, and I made it bigger. And then it—it's his fault because if you—you've you've seen the Heaven and Hell tour we did in two thousand nine, I had this giant kit, twenty-one pieces, twenty-one drums, and each—that's because it got bigger every year. And then when we got together again. It got bigger and bigger, and that's Tony's fault. <laughs> but,
1: uh, yeah, that's Tony, great.
2: I didn't know he was freaked out that much. He goes, "Man, we, you know, we got all these stacks of amps in this little puny drum set, you know." <laughs> and uh, oh, it's crazy. There was actually one gig on the Heaven and Hell tour in 1980 where uh, this was a good one too. We're playing arenas, everything's moving along. I'm getting in the swing of things, and Bill's tech. Uh he I either refused to set my drums up or left. So I had to set my drums up for the arena gig. <laughs> not mm-hmm. that I'm like, oh my God, you know, so that's when that changed too. I got my own tech. But right. it, yeah, he was loyal to Bill at the time. He felt weird working for me and I was way younger than him and so that's what happened. So crazy yeah. stuff on that tour.
0: Yeah, yeah few more minutes here with Vinny Apicee. As all week, we are celebrating the re-release of The Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell in Deluxe reissues from Rhino, which are out now. Again, Geezer Butler was on Monday. If you missed that, it's on the app. And uh, Vinny with us now. Tony Iommi with us tomorrow as we continue talking Sabbath with Vinny right now. Mm -hmm. So, Vin, you know what I find interesting? You met Ronnie James Dio for the first time in sabbath when you got there and of course it it uh started a long friendship and 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 playing with him obviously going on to deal with him and everything else so you didn't know him prior to sabbath huh i'm kind of surprised by that given that he had a history in music and of course even at that young age you did as well
2: yeah um it was uh Yeah, like I said, like Rainbow, Rainbow was a band that was really big in Europe, but not quite as big in the the U.S. So um, I was I was listening to Zeppelin and Hendrix and things like that. And I've heard Rainbow uh, and I've heard of Ronnie, especially that the name Dio, you know, in Italian means God. And was like, wow, that's a cool name. But uh, I didn't follow him. And um, so I didn't really know his his whole history. You know, I knew uh, Long Live Rock and Roll, Man on the Silver Mountain. Uh, but I didn't really uh, follow them, you know. Same with Sabbath. Sabbath, I heard all the all the music and I didn't, I wasn't a big, huge fan of Sabbath. I was a fan, but uh, I was more of a fan of Zeppelin, you know. that And probably the reason for that was the drum sound. The drum sound on the Sabbath records were really dead-sounding drums. Bill Ward's drums on his first couple albums. Very small, but effective, you know. It was a great sound to fit the album. But I was into more of what Bonham was doing with the big room sound and the big drum sound because my brother was doing more of the big drum sound as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I liked drums that were sounding big and noisy. So uh, that's why I didn't uh, catch on to Sabbath like I should have. But um and when I first heard it I thought it was the scariest thing I've ever heard.
0: <laughs>
2: my friend played me the first album. I went, Oh my god. And then I looked at the pictures and I went, Oh my god, and the names, you know. Ozzy, what's what's Ozzy? That's, <laughs> that's somebody's name? <laughs> Even Iomi was kind of menacing the way it's spelled and you know. Um uh, so anyway, so yeah, so when I met Ron, all of a sudden it's like uh we hit it off you know like he's from new york he's 15 years older than i am but we hit it off and we like the same kind of food and all of a sudden we were like we got a lot of things in common whereas tony and geezer i couldn't understand what they they were saying because they're from (laughs) birmingham with a heavy accent and i'm never been out of the country really and or around a lot of british people uh and they would talk, and I'd be going, "Oh man!" I'd ask Ronnie, Ronnie, what did they say? <laughs> so he, he translated. Him, you know? Yeah, he translated for me, and they, they got a kick out of it. And uh, then eventually, obviously, I got to get used to how the accent worked and what, how they thought, and how it worked, and 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 it was smooth, you know. But it was really funny. i I'm, I'm, couldn't understand them, you know, like what. So, uh, luckily Ronnie, you know, was so nice and took me under his wing and and that that was, if he was an asshole, it would have been a hard thing to be doing. You know, I, you know, not understanding Tony and geezer. And then if if Ronnie wasn't very nice, it it would have been a little bit uncomfortable, you know, but everybody was great and, uh, it it was just felt right, you know, and it got better and better.
0: Did you do you feel that uh you, it's interesting here hearing you talk about your your uh your feelings about Sabbath and your awareness of their music prior to you joining the band because not only are you trying to learn at the time this new album Heaven and Hell for the tour but it sounds like you probably needed a crash course in the old songs they were still playing <laughs> from the Aussie era at that point how did you attack, how did you attack that and how did you Interpret what you wanted to do with all of that material until Mob Rules had been by Bill. So were you just looking to be totally faithful to what he played, or as a drummer did you try to you want you want to put a little of your own stamp in it as well?
2: Um, Well, that's a good question because uh, Bill has a unique style, and with two different drummers, you know, I'm I'm a different drummer than Bill. Bill always said he was a percussionist. And if you listen to those first couple of albums, um it is it, there's like percussion parts in it. And you know, I got to give you credit. That's very creative coming up with drum parts like that rather than playing right straight through it. Anybody could play straight through a part, but to come up with a cool drum lick or maybe a tom thing, that's more creative. And that's what Ringo did that people think Ringo's not very good, right? Listen to those parts on those albums. They're fantastic, you know. So, uh so I I had to listen and listen and listen and learn those songs, and then I kind of took the main parts that Bill did and copied them, and then I put myself in between, so it was a little of both. So they felt comfortable, uh Tony and Geezer felt comfortable on that old stuff, and I could not have to worry about every single little part, you know. And then I adopted myself into it. How I would play it with those important parts intact, and that worked. It seemed to work um, good. But those old albums that the tempos change, the time ch- signatures change. You know, there's some things in there that you count one, two, three, four, and a half, and it comes in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's because they played together since they were young. Tony, Bill, and Geezer. And they're like, they're almost, they play as one. And it could be whatever t- timing or tempo it is. And they, they just knew how to do it, you know? So I had to adopt to that, but I did I ima- learn how to play late, more laid back playing with it, with them.
0: Yeah. You know, I imagine, I imagine mob rules it's a whole different ball game then because by then you've got some experience, some comfort level around these guys. You've got some live shows under your belt. Then when you go in to make that record and do the tour for that, I imagine it was a way more comfortable thing for you. Yeah.
2: That was time to rip. That was like, all right, now I'm going to rip it up. But I still kept in mind that I'm playing with black Sabbath and you know, I'm not going to do the too many crazy things I'm going to lay it down. There's even ways I played accents that sounded very Sabbath-like. Instead of using a snare drum, I might have just used the cymbals. There were certain things I adapted that made it sound a little darker, which is uh, what I wanted it to sound like with them because it still was Black Sabbath. And uh, kept it locked in, a little behind the beat, you know, and it seemed to work really well. so, but it was definitely time to rip it up a little bit. Now I could play more like me, put more energy into it and, uh, uh, kick the band in the ass a little bit, you know, cause that's usually what I do is kick the band in the ass from what I'm told, <laughs> you know, so cause I'm, I, I like to play hard and I like to play loud. So, um, that's what I did, you know, and I just kept my style more on the dark side and made it fit, you know, and they never said anything uh, like maybe you shouldn't play that, or you know maybe once in, in a blue moon that was said by anybody. They let me do my thing; they had trust in me. And I used to play, you know, sometimes over the vocal line. Ronnie never said anything, you know, especially in Holy Diver. I'd play all over the place, you know, the vocals. He inspired me. I'd go crazy when he's hitting a note, and I'm. Ah! Ronnie never said you hey, don't play over my vocal line. So they really let me do anything I wanted. So luckily I, I took the right approach, you know, kept it to on the dark side and it fit in, you know, fit in well.
0: So do you have, do you have a favorite track on mob rules? Um, I like turn up
2: the night and I like mob rule. I like them all, but, uh, turn up the night's really cool. I like that Mm -hmm. song. And, um, and of course mob rules, mob rules, just sums it all up, you know, such a, a ripping song.
0: And I, I always so. thought Sign of the Southern Cross was the mob rules heaven and hell. I, I always thought th- they're very similar to me in their epicness.
2: Yes, yes. Well, the speed, the tempos are, are similar, and it was very, very heavy, you know. And you could hear those chords. that tone, The way Tony plays chords is like no other. Nobody plays, could hit the same chord as Tony and let it sound like Tony sounds. You know, there's just something the way he plays. His little vibrato—it just sounds evil. You know, and that song was like heaven and hell, wide open with a big bass drum sound in there from Martin Birch and uh, and Ronnie's voice over that. It was incredible. So you know, you know, another track.
0: Another track on mob rules uh, that I thought was really cool and has a really interesting drum pocket in it is slipping away song that's more of an album cut people don't talk about, but I always thought that was a really cool showcase for you i love I love the way you play on that track
2: oh thanks yeah that that's an interesting song because the the rhythm it's almost a little funk to it you know yeah r and b to it and uh I was following Geezer on that, and that's what felt right. And uh, it really worked, you know, but it was an unusual song. It's not a straight ahead, two-four drum beat or that kind of rhythm. It's more of a funky thing, you know, and it worked uh, well, you know. Uh, So I I came up with that just following the bass, and we locked in, and then uh, – the rest just came naturally, you know?
0: So, and another, another sleeper, another sleeper on mob rules that I absolutely love is the last track over and over. Ronnie's vocal is just ridiculous on it. And then you've got, because it's, it's more of a bluesy slow thing. When you put fills in there and stuff, it just takes up. uh, Yeah. I'm like you, I love big drums. It's just so big and loud and full. And it just, yeah. I, I love that track. That That's just, that's one of those songs that, the you know both songs slipping away over and over songs that people definitely album tracks that you don't normally hear but just great great records and and great songs and over and over to me right. is just epic i just love the sound of that and ronnie's voice is unreal on that
2: yeah ronnie's like is pouring his heart out in that song and it's just unbelievable the way he could sing like that and and uh, over and over is is more like uh less is more you know like with well for me for drums uh not too many fills but when you do them yes they're big and huge yes. and just brings it to the next part you know it's more of locking in because it is like a blues song and um uh, i i love playing that song that was a great song we never did it i don't think we ever did it live you know we didn't do it but uh we all loved it we all loved it but uh it's an unusual song too. It was like that kind of feel and in a the, in the blues thing going on with Black Sabbath. So, but it all worked.
0: Hey, what are your yeah. thoughts on the Live Evil record? Because it was a controversial record, and in the sense that people say it led to Ronnie leaving the band and fighting over the mix and all that. As the drummer in the band, what were your thoughts about that record?
2: Well, you know, I was the new guy on the blocked the low man on the totem pole I just went along with whatever you know so what happened was uh we recorded the live stuff and we were set to mix it I believe it was at the Record Plant new in, the, in uh, Los Angeles and uh that's where Ronnie and I live and it was scheduled to start in the afternoon and Ronnie lived we lived close together so it was like well let's ride together you know um, we always did that Ronnie and I so we rode down to the studio and then Tony and Geezer weren't there at that time. So Ronnie wait, you know, waited around, but he doesn't like to waste time and stuff, so he wanted to start getting a, a a leg up on the mixes and and this and that and this and that. And that got blown out of proportion to uh like when Tony and Geezer got there they wanted to change things. So I I can't really say what exactly happened. But they weren't happy with each other, you know. So I'm in the middle, like, okay. Um, but Ronnie's always like that. You know Ronnie. He's not going to go and sit around waiting very long. He'd think, well, let's get some something done. Like maybe get the drums up and see what they sound like. And uh, so really, he wasn't trying to mix it himself, put it that way. He, he was just trying to get a leg up on what was going on. And then uh, when Tony and Giza got there, everybody puts their – input in, but I think things were bad, a little bit rotten at that time. So, uh, it didn't, it didn't work as planned.
0: (laughs) And I imagine, I imagine Vin, that was probably around the time, especially you guys are getting close riding together, the studio, that was that around the time that he talked to you about, I'm going to go do my own thing. You want to come and do Dio? Well, you know, that,
2: that he had that record deal in place with Sabbath. He was, he was planning on being in black Sabbath, and then he was going to use that record deal to to, uh, start, uh, do a solo record. And he was going to have all his different friends, musician friends play on it. It wasn't going to be a band because he was in Black Sabbath. But as it progressed and things were getting uh, not so cheery around Sabbath, he thought, you know what? Uh, I'm going to decide to put my own band together. So we were at the Rainbow again. And that's when he said to me, look, sitting there in the booth and he turned to me, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the band and I'm going to put a new band together. Would you like to join me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. How exciting, you know, to be working with somebody that, that uh, he's like a brother and uh, this great singer and something new. And he's in right. You know, we live close together. Uh, So I thought it was a a good move to do that. And um, you know, Sabbath, they wanted me to stay with them, but uh, I just thought this would be easier to do something new. I'm young; this is probably a time to do it. And uh, Tony and Giza were in England, so I just made the choice of uh, I'll do it with Ron, you know. And then we. But when they when together.
0: they brought in when they brought in Ian Gillen, they had talked to you about wanting to stay at, at that point.
2: No, this was right after Ronnie left. I don't think there was any talk. There was no talk of Ian Gillen yet. This was fresh,
0: right. I don't right.
2: remember Ian Gillen's name popping up, so right. um so I don't know. I think it was a yeah. matter of me just at that point going, look i'm I'm gonna stay with you guys if if you want me, you know, and then what are we gonna do? but I didn't hear Ian, Ian Gillen. I think this was before you know before all that.
0: Hey, I I only got about three, four minutes left before I have to end, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about what's going on with you now because you always got something cooking. Are you working on a new Last in Line record? Where where are things at with you musically right now?
2: Uh, We got half the album pretty much done, and uh, we're working with ideas across. We're a band that has to be in a room together, so it's hard to, you know— send files back and forth to to create something now but we're doing that we're doing with with we got a cover song in mind that we're working on and then uh we'll get together soon and finish the rest of the record and uh we're we're going for a new label as well got a label that's going to it looks like it's going to happen and uh and then we got some dates coming up um we're waiting to see what Def Leppard's schedule is you know we don't know what's going on yet exactly with the big stadium tour uh, we don't know what they want. They're going to do this year because we usually play in between Viv's schedule with Def Leppard. So right. uh, we'll wait and see. But we have dates in October so far, and then if we we open up, we do some maybe in the summer. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. You know. So I've just been doing a lot of online stuff, which is cool. A yeah, lot of I think and I, gotta...
0: I think in I think in terms of playing. I think what we're seeing is – is I, I think as much as I, I hope it happens for everybody, I think it's highly unlikely that stadium-level tour is going to be able to happen as soon as yeah. June, which is when they're supposed to kick off. I just don't see – Anyway, that happens no. that soon, so I, I think though
2: you know there's no sports event, so right. how could you all of a sudden put a big rock show on? Right,
0: yeah. I think everybody realizes. I mean, just like last time, it's pretty unlikely that that ha- it probably doesn't probably gets kicked into next year or late this year at the, in warmer climates. I don't know, but that's a good right. thing for for last in line because yeah. for guys like vivian who have a side band that plays at a club level you can go out and play that's going to clear some time so that might be a great window for you guys yeah that's
2: what we're <clears throat> that's what we're hoping and then uh you know maybe uh by the summer by the summer you know we'll be able to book uh a bunch of gigs and get out there and play and then finish the album and yeah a lot of things going on and uh because everything's stagnant now, you know. I've been doing a drum show every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time uh, for my drum company, and that kept me in shape. I've been doing it for nine months. We're doing really good with that. Luckily for that, because it makes me practice, (laughs) Mm. you know. Otherwise, it's easy to sit around and go, I'm going to go check my email, and and, and, and here I'm setting the whole thing up. I'm practicing, coming up with
0: new ideas and playing. So uh, it's been a crazy, crazy year. And Last you're doing something, because I just got reached out about doing this with you guys. You're doing, you and your brother are doing a an interview show, right? A YouTube thing? Because they asked me to come on as a guest soon.
2: Yeah, we're doing that uh, on Tuesdays, my thing. And then on Thursday at 4 p.m., we have a show with Ron Onesti, who owns the Akata Theater in uh,
0: yeah, St. Charles, Illinois.
2: Everybody's played there. And he's like the host. And we've had a lot of people on. We had Nick O'McBrain on this, this, uh, um, just a ton of people. Ted Nugent, and this Thursday it's uh, Simon Kirk and um, Kenny Aronoff, and we just uh, sit there and we have a, a great time. It's a great. We tell stories, you know. We have a great laugh. So we're booking it. Yeah, it'd be great to have you on. It would be lovely. You know, they booked me. Have they
0: must. It must have been light. They must have been in a jam for a guest because they booked me for it a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to do it with you guys. <laughs> no, but they're trying to book more people down the line, you know. And
2: we're getting yeah. a lot of people. Uh, we've done a, a tribute to uh, um, Eddie Van Halen when he when he passed. You know, a couple of weeks later, we had all the, about six guitar players on. You know. Did a tribute to Leslie West, we had Corky Lang and uh uh Bach Dama. Just we have it's getting to be really cool and it's a fun oh. time and we'd love to have you on the show. That would be so All lovely.
0: you mus- all you musicians trying to become broadcasters during this pandemic. I told <laughs> each and every one of you I'm going to learn how to play an instrument. I'm coming for your gig in a year or two. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's uh, got well, you something. Got, you
2: you got to reinvent, you reinvent yourself, you know. It's
0: crazy. <laughs> Listen, man, I got to run. It's it's always great talking to you. I hope to see you soon. I hope when travel starts up, I'll catch you out there in uh, in L.A. We'll get to hang a little bit, and uh, yeah. I appreciate the time, as always. Good talking. Thank
2: you, Eddie. Good to be here. Good to talk to you. Be safe, and thanks, everybody, for listening to all, all this great stuff. It's
0: funny. Uh, all nice right, talk. Vin. I'll see you soon, man. I'll talk to you soon. Well, thanks to Vinny. Always great talking with him, and he's out there still playing on a lot of records and doing a great job, and of course, Last in Line, is current band as well. Thanks earlier to Bill Ward, and thank you for listening. Thanks to Katie Irizarry for producing. I will catch you guys next week for another episode. New episodes every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And uh, I don't really know how I can top the last two weeks. <laughs> I mean, three quarters of Original Sabbath and Vinnie Apicy, tough to do. Drop me a line on social media at Eddie Trunk, and I will catch you again, like I said, next Thursday. Be well, everybody, and I'll catch you then. And hopefully catch you on the radio every day. Sirius XM Volume 106, 2 to 4, 10 to midnight Eastern. Take care.